forget to rate our show and subscribe. Before we begin this podcast, if you or someone you know is in crisis or needs emotional support, there are tools that can help. So get yourself a pen and paper or open a note-taking app on your phone or computer. Feel free to pause this episode while you get yourself ready. The episode starts at 1 minute and 52 seconds. You can call Talk Suicide Canada at 1-833-456-4566. You can text 45645, which is coming in the fall of 2023. In Canada, you can also call 988, the kids' help phone at 1-800-668-6868. The Trans Lifeline in Canada is 1-877-330-6366. And in the United States, 1-877-565-8860. Or call 911. You are not alone, and you do not have to be alone. I would like to honor and recognize the traditional and unceded territories of the Katsi, Kwantlen, and Semiamu nations on whose territory I live, work, and play. Welcome to We Are the ADHD Family Podcast. This podcast is meant to chronicle our journey with ADHD, autism, and other discoveries along the way. I reach out to advocates, experts, individuals, and other families that want to raise their voices and empower those on their journey. My name is Mark Smeets, and I am passionate about removing barriers for others through creating connections and building on strengths and practical problem solving. I am married to Siobhan, a parent to two wonderful kids, and all of us have ADHD. I want you to feel like you have power and hope. And now, into the episode. Owen, please don't pee on the lightsaber. This is just one of the statements I thought I'd never hear my wife say to our children. What do you remember about first approaching Miss Madison? And what were your feelings before you we approached her? At that time, it was just a regular parent-teacher interview. I know we had some concerns, but they weren't uh, as maybe advanced as they are now. Um, <laughs> and we, we were kind of used to being mm, not brushed off, but... That's a good word. Mm, not Not being listened to. And I felt... After talking to her, she was the first teacher person who listened to us and kind of validated our concerns and questions. And um, I just felt really comforted, and and it, it was it was really nice to talk to her and felt like she she really got Owen, understood us as parents. If you're wondering what that. <laughs> sound is in the background over Siobhan speaking, that would be Mackenzie eating McDonald's french fries, and she promised to try and be quiet in the room as mommy was giving her answer, and now she's rubbing the french fry against the french fry thing. Not a sponsor, but... Not a sponsor. If you're listening, McDonald's. Sure, why not? Yeah. That was my beautiful wife giving her recollection of the conversation and experience that we had with Melissa Madison when Owen was in grade two. I hope you've been enjoying the conversation so far. We are discussing practical ways that parents and teachers can work together to navigate the system and how to be more effective advocates. If you want to get more into Melissa's background, go back to part one. In the previous episode, 
We discuss topics such as how kids can demonstrate what they understand, why performance standards don't work, why it's okay to say you don't know, and the role of the teacher and how it is not to diagnose a child. Let's jump back in. How do you how do you how do you approach parents when you have a concern? Do you have a process that you follow? Is um, it like for me, like I you like you know me well and uh, you know me well enough now, but I mean hmm. the I mean, for me, for the most part, I sort of work out a lot of the processes and what I'm going to say in my head ahead of mm-hmm. time. So I sort of keep the the points down or I've written all the notes down on my phone because I'm not going to remember. I'm going to forget. Mm-hmm. Go ADHD. And uh, <laughs> I will try and make it mechanical as less emotional as I as I possibly can. But what do you what uh, what do you how do you, how do you approach it with 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 a parent with a parent mm-hmm. or parents? Mm-hmm. Um, so I think the way that I start any conversation with a parent is always going to use a strengths-based approach, um, always. So starting, what do I mean by that? So it's what can this child do well? How, what, what do they offer in our class that brings joy and light? How, how can I communicate how special this child is? Um, first before I go, have you noticed this? <laughs> or here's what I've seen. And I'm wondering what your, th- what your thoughts are on that. Um, so always kind of, um, you know, because I don't want to say like buttering the parent up because it isn't that it's about validating the gifts yeah. that that child brings first. Um, because they're they're a whole child. They're not just their deficits or their stretches, right? Yeah. They're a whole child. So being able to start a conversation where I'm like, okay, I love having so-and-so in my class. Um, so-and-so is such a great friend. And I love that they're always so caring and compassionate. Um, they're always so excited to put their hand up when they, you know, we're having a class discussion, you know, whatever it is, right? Mm-hmm. And, and, and filling that bucket first, because parents want to know that their children are a gift, right? They want to hear that from the person spending so much time with their child, right? So my process is always beginning with strengths first, always. (laughs) Um, And so then I I really just try and um, take a listening stance in those first few meetings because I'm trying to find out more about that child. Um, I have some observations that I've been able to make. I'm noticing some certain things. I've been, you know, note-taking during the day, you know, whatever I've done to collect my own data and my own questions about a child. Um, But taking a listening stance is is kind of the the next thing. So after I kind of pour into the parent and let them know that their child is amazing, um, then I I go, okay, um, tell me more about what does your child do after school? Walk me through yeah. a day after school. Um, what do you guys like to do on weekends? Um, does so-and-so play any sports or do any, you know, activities, extracurriculars? What do they love to do? Um, you know, do they get along with siblings? Do they have pets? So I'm trying to find out basically what exists in that child's life backpack. The mm-hmm. backpack that they are bringing metaphorically to school every single day, right? So for some kids, their backpacks are full of trauma. 
right? Their backpacks are full of a really ugly history of, of, of awful things that have happened to them. Um, but then there's some that come with backpacks that are fairly light and full, you know, have a soccer ball in it and they're like, okay, I'm ready to rock. Right. So I'm trying to find out context. Context is everything. So taking that listening stance where you're just opening up the conversation allows um, there to be an ease in conversation so that a parent, cause like no parent wants to go and necessarily sit in, you know, and meet with the teacher. I don't know if it's just that it's this conditioning that we have where we think we're in trouble when we're sitting down with a teacher, or yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. you, you, you want to even the playing field that there, there isn't this like hierarchy, um, that it's, that we're here and we're together and we're a team on the same playing field um and we're we're all going for that same goal right um so yeah so i i would say kind of once i've established that rapport i've taken a listening stance and kind of built a bit of a context around that child um then i'm kind of able to say here are some things that i'm noticing tell me more about that or um you know it was really interesting. I uh, was doing this and then I'll tell kind of a scenario or a situation involving their child. And then I leave it to them. Right. Like I I pose that back and go like, tell me your thoughts about that. As opposed to going, here's what I think based on this scenario, what are you going to do about it? (laughs) So it's keeping the dialogue open. Well, it's, it's keeping the dialogue open and this is not about a diagnosis right mm-hmm. this is this is about are we are we really what I, what i what i gather from all this and i think that's what you, what the three of us did my wife you and 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 i mm-hmm. is that you have this um it isn't so much about i mean i was i know i was sitting there going thinking diagnosis diagnosis because mm-hmm. it was just in my brain but you're trying to validate what you're seeing is the same thing that they're seeing as well where's the like is is there a consistency is it not consistent and even if something wasn't consistent at home that's actually perfectly fine because the way that children mask right when we sit there and hear about um uh you know they're you know they're perfectly fine at school but when they get home they completely unleash makes perfect sense in the in the world of neurodiversity makes perfect sense for us um the but to me, it just sounds like you're looking for that reciprocation back of, oh, okay, you know, what's this is this is what they're seeing too, and this is what I'm seeing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, just talking openly out loud about all the things. And I, mm-hmm. I like how you were saying, you know, you were you're not trying to butter up the parent. Mm-hmm. I think part of the problem is that because of the way the grade system, I think, exists when you've got A's and B's and C's. And I mean, having an A means absolutely nothing. It means you probably had the luxury of memorizing half the answers. And, you know, some kids can just do that. It doesn't necessarily represent an understanding of the material. Mm-hmm. Some people will. Some people have that rep- that understanding. They can get that A and that's fine. But for for some other kids, you know, a, a lot of them, it's, it's not going to be that. I know this sure wasn't for me. Mm-hmm. But you're you're pointing out the strengths because again like we were just saying a few minutes ago there isn't a way right there isn't a correct way to arrive at a conclusion there mm-hmm. is more than one way to do it 
And yeah. I think that's super important to to sort of keep in mind. The other struggle I think a lot of parents have, I know we did and we still do, is just understanding a report card, what's actually required yeah. for the grade. We don't, I think as a parent, you know, if you if you had your, I mean, you already know you've kind of got the inside on on that side of it because you've you know you've had your training. But when I look at myself, it's like I don't fully understand a report card. I, you know, it's it's if you tell me something specific, sure, I, I'll be able to sit there and understand that. Um, last week or the week before, British Columbia just moved to the proficiency system, and a bunch of schools have been using this already for past. What has it been? Five years, I think, anyways. Well, and we use the proficiency scale up until grade um, four is when they switch to letter grades. Yeah. So the proficiency scales we've always used K to three. Yeah, it's this is this is it's a way better way to do that. And I guess they're extending it now to grade nine, I think Mm -hmm. it was. Yeah. Which I think is great. Like fantastic. It you want to understand like the mechanisms that pull because you want to be able to figure out. And maybe this is not what the intention of it is, but this is just where my brain goes. I sit there and say, again, if I know a child learns by using only green stickers and this whole class is using red stickers, mm-hmm. oh, my child's gonna my child's gonna have an issue, right? Mm-hmm. We have to find a way to get him to get them to use the green stickers. Yeah. That's what you know, that's where I think a lot of the um a lot of the the questions need to be asked, at least from the from the parent point of view. Mm-hmm. Well, I think with that, by using that strength based approach too, um, mm-hmm. it kind of helps us be detectives, right? Yeah. So we can go, okay. So if I know what incentivizes the child, I know um, what they're interested in. I can use that as a way to connect with them. Um, I can, if I, you know, like your your sticker example, if I know that so and so can write me five pages of a story if they're using yellow paper with red margins um while the rest of them can do it with white paper and pink margins then i'm going to provide yellow paper with red margins so so it's, it's about being a detective together and and understanding that that when you are are hearing feedback from a teacher that um that there's validity to it, right? So yeah. our experience with your child is still valid. Whether you agree with what we're saying or not, whether you see it at home or not, there is validity to what we are seeing as professionals, Yeah. right? And so that it could be, there's a million reasons why you might not see that at home or why you might disagree with what I'm saying. Um, and and that, that's okay because your lived experience is different than my lived experience with your child. Um, yeah. And so being able to find that middle ground where you go, okay, so here's what you're seeing. Here's what you're seeing. So this is what we know. Yeah. What are we going to do moving forward? And so being able to use those differences as the key to moving forward, as opposed to going, okay, well, I'm getting nowhere with this parent or I'm getting nowhere with this teacher because they're not seeing what I'm seeing. So therefore, I guess we'll just leave it. Well, no, we're not leaving it. It's going, why are there differences? Oh, is it because there's, you know, an, un, um, there's, you know, something going on at home for that child. There's a been a divorce or someone just passed away or, 
Um, there's a competition that weekend that they're super anxious for. So their behavior has been off or do you know what I mean? Like there's, there's always those antecedents, those things that are behind our behaviors. And so if we're noticing these behaviors at home or we're not noticing them at school or whatever, that's a point of discussion. That's not the point where that's not a period going, okay, well, this conversation's over because we disagree. It's okay. Why are we disagreeing and what's going on behind that? Well, and that sort of leads me to another thought too, which was, you know, how can I as a parent listen to the concerns of a teacher? I was going to say effectively, but maybe it's just the wrong word, but just listen in general, even though I may not agree with what I'm hearing, like what's mm-hmm. an effective way to absorb, um, to absorb those things? Yeah. So, I mean, <laughs> it's it's kind of like I said, so your agreement to what a teacher is sharing doesn't negate the validity of what the teacher is sharing, right? So it's not a you're wrong, I'm right mentality. It's in this environment, these behaviors are happening. And in this environment, these behaviors are happening. So what are we going to do about it, right? So I think that you know, the first and you know thing to do is 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 to breathe <laughs> and to you know maintain an, an open posture to hearing about things that are going on for your child. Um, but I mean, in terms of like practical tips, so first, a parent has to regulate themselves <laughs> before they can do any work with their child. They have to regulate themselves. So if you leave a conversation with a teacher and you're angry or you're frustrated or you're disappointed or you're confused, you need to find a way to regulate those feelings first before you can do anything productive with what has been, what information has been given to you. So whatever that looks like for you, if that looks like going for a run, if that looks like having a good cry, if that looks like phoning someone else, you know, and, and hashing it out whatever, regulate yourself first. (laughs) Then I would say that, you know, um, that observation is key. So taking some notes of your own at home, go, okay, so um, I'm going to choose um, 30 minutes to watch my child play with their Lego. They're not going to know that I'm watching from this particular lens, but I'm just I'm going to say, okay, just play. And so it's an unstructured play activity. It's not something you've set up with a certain, you know, um, routine already built in. So it's just unstructured play and just watch, go, okay. So, you know, the teacher said that, um, that after about three and a half minutes, my child has to stand up. Okay. Mm -hmm. So that's the behavior you're going to focus on for that one unstructured play session. So, take the notes. What do you wonder? What are you seeing? What's different? What's similar than what the teacher said? Um, let the data be your driver because it, it's hard to deny data when you're collecting it. So if you're choosing to focus on one or two specific behaviors that the teacher pointed out um, and you are doing a tally mark every time you notice that behavior during an unstructured play session, mm. You can't deny, oh my gosh, okay, wow. Uh, Yeah, Miss Madison mentioned that so-and-so after three and a half minutes has to stand up and that happened six times in a 30-minute period. Oh, interesting. (laughs) How do you deny the tally marks and what you're observing, right? So I think if you can remain open-minded and take very specific behaviors to then observe, um, you'll start to notice things. And perhaps 
you don't notice the same behaviors, but you're still noticing behaviors. And what you observe during that time is still valid to your experience. And it's still important to share with the teacher and say, okay, I actually watched so-and-so play Lego for 30 minutes and he only got up once. Well, interesting was probably because it was a preferred activity, something that they wanted to do. Interesting. Now I want you to set up a toy that maybe he doesn't like so much and see what happens. Do you know what I mean? So then the information you've collected, that data you've collected is still valid and can still help the detective process (laughs) to, to building a case around your child. I think having, I think that one of the missing steps is probably to acknowledge that you do feel attacked or that you do feel upset. Or something there, and I do this with kids a lot, uh, let alone myself, is I will say, you know, there's three answers that are always valid. There's uh, yes, no, and I don't know. And I don't know is a perfectly valid answer when you're not sure what the path you need to take is or what you're feeling. And I think, you know, people sort of get forced to you know, may, make a determination right then and there, but it's perfectly within your right to say, I have no idea at this point. And I can't, I may not be able to put that into words just yet, but there's an emotion in me where I feel like I feel upset or I feel attacked. If you can even name that feeling, because some parents who are, you know, some people who will be highly competitive will be like, what do you mean, you know, little whatever is having, is struggling. And they will feel offended and cast out like they're the bane of society or something like that. And the world's going to end. And it's like, it ain't about you, actually. (laughs) It's about your kid. And if you want them to be, you know, that successful as the success level that you reached, well, you should take an interest in, in what it is. But I think stepping back and acknowledging your feelings first is is a really big thing that you want to that you sort of want to do after you kind of bring yourself down and and you know regulate whether that's step one or step two i mean whichever but um i think when you're doing the observation like you were saying you kind of do it with once you acknowledge it it's like oh you're kind of doing it with fresh eyes what have i actually seen mm-hmm. um because not everybody will think like me or my wife or like you right that's that's yeah Absolutely. And I think too, that like, sometimes you might need to take a step back. And so you might need to ask someone you trust to make observations or to share their wonders about your child after spending time with them. So if you are lacking that rapport and that respect and that trusting relationship with the child's teacher, choose someone else that you already have that rapport with so that you can try and mitigate those defensive or disillusioned feelings that you might have about your child um, so that ultimately you can step out of the way. (laughs) And I say that that with love. um, And I'm a parent too. And I have to step out of my child's way all the time. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, you know, I think the easiest way that I try and, um, you know, if I'm, if I'm, rubbing up against a a parent team uh, that maybe is not agreeing with what I have to say or is less open um, to trying strategies or things like that. The way I always try and frame it to a parent is I want you to imagine your child at their full potential. What does that look like? 
what needs to change or what needs to continue to keep them moving towards that potential. Because I think for a a lot of kids, especially neurodivergent kids, whether they have a diagnosis or not yet, that there's there's a status quo acceptance. Mm -hmm. And so as parents or as teachers will go, okay, well, they are, they're doing okay. And we get okay with okay (laughs) being full potential. And that isn't it. And so we need to step out of the way and we need to say, okay, what can we actually shift so that my child's full potential is being seen and experienced um, by my child on the regular, not yeah. my child had an exceptional day today and didn't hit anyone. Okay, well, they've met their full potential. Okay, well, how do we make that the norm yeah. then, right? So I, I think, you know, a lot of parents, they get, they get you know, upset and they, there's a defensiveness and a denial because that feels comfortable. It feels comfortable to stay there. We don't like, the human nature doesn't like to be uncomfortable. And so um, and we don't like our children to be uncomfortable. So we often save our children or we, you know, take the discomfort of things away um, when there's big feelings or or behaviors, right? And this is your captain speaking. I'm just kidding. I'm not a captain at all. Sometimes I play a doctor, but that's only on a podcast and I'm a fake doctor. Anyways, as you've probably guessed, I'm going to put a pause here on the episode. The next episode's already released. So go ahead and give uh, the second part of this interview a listen. Originally, I had this extended, but it went into an hour, so I had to condense this. I hope you're enjoying the interview so far. It's going to pick up exactly where we left off. Thank you for listening to our show. If you're hearing this message, you've reached the end of the episode, and for that, I want to say thank you. I hope you have enjoyed what you've heard and are walking away with newfound knowledge. We are the ADHD family. See you soon for a new episode. I have three things to ask of you. Number one, if you have any comments, questions, or guest ideas, please leave a comment on the Facebook page. Number two, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. It helps people find us. And number three, if you want to be a guest on the show or know someone who would make a great guest, contact me through our Facebook page. This podcast is open to everyone. You don't need to be an expert, just passionate and want to see change. The opinions expressed by the host and guest are not associated with any employer or organization unless otherwise stated. information on this site and podcast is provided as an information resource only and is not to be used or relied on for any diagnostic or treatment purposes. This information does not create any patient-physician relationship and should not be used as a substitute for a professional diagnosis and treatment. 
please consult your healthcare provider before making any healthcare decisions or guidance about a specific medical condition. The show, host, and its guests expressly disclaim responsibility and shall have no liability for any damages, loss, injury, or liability whatsoever suffered as a result of your reliance on the information contained in this site or show. By visiting this site and listening to this show, you agree to the by visiting this site and listening to this show, you agree to the terms and conditions which may from time to time change or be supplemented by the show host.